What's up, Echo Youth? Nice. Hey, it's good to be here, guys. Um, yeah, camp was awesome. It's good to see a lot of you guys again. Uh, before I go any further, I do just have to say how much of an honor it is um, to be in this place tonight. I don't take this type of thing lightly, uh, and especially here specifically, because I love your youth pastor. Uh, Brett and Danielle both have, have really become uh, some great friends to me and Tanner, and I even outside during hangout, I had to FaceTime Sawyer because he wanted to say hi to Vince. And then, and then I said bye and walked away from Vince, and then Vince ran over to me, and I had to re-FaceTime so Vince could say goodbye to Sawyer. So there, there's a friendship happening there, which is awesome and amazing to see. Uh, but, but for real, Brett, we knew each other when I was a youth pastor in La Palma. We would get lunch every, like, year once or, you know, like every six months or so. Um, we're in a youth pastor fantasy football league together that I keep beating your youth pastor in year after year. I'm a two-time champion, uh, and so we'll see. Three-peat? I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I just I love Brett so much. And, and genuinely, I get to be at a different youth group basically every week. Me and Carter, we're, we're going all over Southern California. Um, but there are specific people and places uh, that are real special, and this is one of those places. Uh, there is something so just genuine about what's taking place here, and I think that stems from your leader and your your leadership team. Uh, and so just know that. You have something very special that you're a part of, uh, and so don't take that lightly. Uh, I don't take it lightly. I'm here tonight because I believe in you and because I care about you. And, and if you know me, then you know uh, sort of what my heart is. I was a youth pastor for seven years in La Palma, California, just down the road, uh, Knott's Berry Farm. You guys know Knott's Berry Farm? Okay. I feel like, I don't know, the, there's different parts of Orange County where it's like, you're, you could tell when you're in a room with Disney people, you know? And then I say Knott's Berry Farm, and then they kind of look at me like, oh, I feel so bad for you. But hey, Look, I, I get it. It's cheaper and it's more dangerous, but it's home, okay? It was my first job that I ever had. Unlike everybody in this room, we can't all work at In-N-Out, okay? So, uh, hey, I love it. I would have worked out In-N-Out if I could, but I, I didn't. And so I worked at Knott's Berry Farm. I put my life on the line every single day. But, look, uh, I did that for seven years, and then God called me into a new season of life uh, to do exactly what I'm doing tonight, get to travel to different youth groups, partner with students like you, because here's, here's the, the gist of it. I know that Brett talked a little bit about campus clubs and, and all that stuff, and that's great, but that is just tools to do what I feel like God has called you guys to do. Here, here's my heart, and here's my passion. I am sick of seeing a generation of students settle for survival. If you're at camp, you know, I already said that. But I feel like too often in life, and especially in this season of life, we make it just about getting through, right? Junior high and high school really just becomes the goal to just like get through it with as few scrapes and bruises as we can. And especially as a Christian, then the goal even more becomes if I can just put my head down and not be like everybody else and just not give in to temptation and I can make it through junior, and high, junior high and high school having not done the list A to Z, then, then I'm successful. But I believe that God has called us to so much more than that. God is calling a generation to not just survive, but to use this experience and to be used by God while you're here. I believe you're exactly where you're supposed to be and that God desires to use you. Think about this. 
I believe, and, and maybe you do too in this room, and if you don't, it's okay. You are welcome to be here. You're in the right place. But I believe, as many in this room believe, that God is real, right? God is real. He exists. He created the universe. He created you, and he created me with a plan and a purpose, right? God is real. I also believe that the Bible is the word of God. It is how we can know him. It is the ultimate form of truth. It is, it is what I use to live my life, right? God is real. And he loves us so much that he died for us, right? Just because we've grown up knowing this message and hearing it, I feel like sometimes it's, it loses its meaning. Think about this. There is a God. That's wild to just say and to believe and to think when you really let yourself think about it. That is, that is insane. There is a God that created all of us. And he loves us so specifically that he paid the price for our sin that separated us from him. He created us for relationship. But we, as human beings, it is our human nature. We have chosen sin, selfish desire, what we think is best, control of our life. But he paid the price. He sent his son. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life ultimately to die on a cross for our sins and rise again with power so we could be saved. Just those things alone, God is real and he loves us and he saved us. Like that does not make sense in and of itself, but we don't just stop there. And this is the passion of my heart, that not only does God exist and he loves you and he, he saved you, but he wants to use you. This time of your life is not wasted. It's not a babysitting service. That's not the reason we're all in this room today. We believe in you. And more than that, God believes in you. And he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And that's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes we have together. I want to talk about your purpose. Because that's really a big piece of this time of life, right? Trying to discover your purpose. Trying to discover your potential. Why was I put on this earth? I'm going to tell you tonight. So if you don't usually take notes, maybe take notes tonight. I'm going to tell you your purpose. I'm going to tell you your potential. Because here's the deal. Sometimes I think that, that we misunderstand this word. Right? If I was going to ask you individually all across the room and I was like, hey, what is your purpose? What's your purpose? You'd probably start to think through the things that you are gifted at and the things that you're passionate about. Right? So if I ask you the question, what's your purpose? You're automatically thinking to the profession that you're going to have one day. Well, my purpose is to play professional football. My purpose is to be a Grammy recording artist. My purpose is to be a teacher. My purpose is to be a doctor. My purpose is to own seven in and out franchises. I don't know, right? Like, what is your purpose? And we start to think through our profession and our, our passions and our giftings. Here's what I will say about that. God has made us each uniquely on purpose. We're not meant to all come into a church and look and act and dress the exact same way. Our uniqueness is sort of the point. We, we're better together. So I'm not for a second suggesting that you should not be unique, but all of the things that I just talked about, your profession, your passions, your giftings, they're not what your purpose is. It's, it's where your purpose is fulfilled. Understand what I'm saying. I can, I can tell each of you what your purpose is even though I don't know you very well. I've not spent much time with you. I've seen you at camps, right? I've seen you at conventions. SoCal United represent. I like that. But I don't know you. I don't know you very well. But I can tell you what your purpose is. Because all of our purpose is the same. Where our purpose is fulfilled, that might be in the NFL. That might be 
on a Grammy recording artist studio. That might be as a teacher. That might be as a doctor. That might be at an in and out. But what your purpose is, is different from where your purpose is fulfilled. Because here's your purpose. You want to know what it is? It's found in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 16. I think we got it. We could throw it up there so we can all read it together. This is your purpose. Matthew 28, 16. This is the last thing that Jesus is saying before he ascends to heaven. So this is after he has lived a perfect life. This is after he's died on the cross for our sins. This is after he rose again. Right before he's about to ascend back to heaven, he gathers his disciples together and he says this. He says, now the 11 disciples... Now, we all know, right, if we've been in Sunday school, there's usually 12 disciples. But this is post-crucifixion, so there's minus one disciple. We all know who that is, right? It's Judas. How many of you guys were at camp again? Some of you guys. So those of you guys that are at camp, you remember my message? I, like, talked about Judas a little bit, and I did, like, a voice for Judas. You know there was one week at camp where some kid came up to me afterwards, and he was like, I think you shouldn't do a disrespectful voice when you're talking about Judas. And I said, oh, buddy. I'm going to do a disrespectful voice about you when I tell this story to other people. Um, but, yeah, you stand, who stands up for Judas, bro? Chill out, okay? Also, if you know my message, I said Judas is the disciple we're the most like, so he needs to calm down, okay? Um, it was Brett. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubt it. Now, this isn't what I want to preach about because this isn't what your purpose is. But I do just have to pause here for a second because I believe one of the biggest uh, 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 weapons that the enemy is attacking our generation with is doubt. And, and here's let me just tell you a little side point from tonight's message. But I know somebody in this room needs to hear it. Your doubt does not disconnect you from being a Christian because sometimes I think we think because we have doubts we aren't as good of a Christian or as real of a Christian as everybody else in the room and in fact our doubt is this thing that we hide and that is shameful to us and we don't talk about it because we feel like we're the only ones but the truth is your doubt doesn't disconnect you actually if we're being honest at some point on some level all of us in this room have had doubts because we're human and so here's the deal. Doubt is only destructive depending on what you do with it. This is what the enemy doesn't want you to know. The enemy loves to just run the same plays, do the same thing he's always been doing because it works. Why would he not? Why would he not? Right? If you guys were watching the, the Cowboys-Giants game, whatever play the Cowboys were running, they did not need to change it up because they scored 40 to 0 on the Giants, all right? They don't need to, like, figure out a new game plan. It was working. Same thing with the enemy. Why would he do stuff when what he does works? But here's what he doesn't want you to understand about doubt. Doubt is only destructive depending on the decision you make in the face of it. Because here's what a lot of us do when we face doubt. We suppress it. We push it down. We, we deny it. And we put on a good face when we come to Echo Youth on a Wednesday night. And we lift our hands and we sing the songs and we play the games. All while we got these doubts running through our mind because we're like, if, if they knew that I have been thinking this and that I've been doubting this, I wouldn't belong. It isolate me. But here's what you do need to do in the face of doubt. Because whether you have doubts currently or whether you will doubt in the future, here's what you should do. Here's the decision that you should make. You need to decide tonight 
that in the face of doubt, you'll do these two things. You will seek and you'll stand. This is what you do in the face of doubt. You seek God. You seek God. You seek God because the word of God says when we seek God, we find him. We serve a God that, that, that longs for us to know him, right? And, and so this is the beauty. We don't, we're not a part of a cult, right? It isn't like there's this thing where we, we want everything to look pretty, but we don't want you to see what's behind this curtain, right? No, you can see everything that's behind this. It's a guitar and some cups and a, you know what I'm saying? I'm, all, I'm always so interested in, in cults, okay? It's my favorite NFL team, the Indianapolis Colts. That's true, but that's a different type of cult. But you know what I'm talking about? Like, like Scientology. Have you ever like heard about Scientology? It is crazy, bro. They, but on the surface level, they believe a lot of cool things, like a, a lot of good stuff to get people in on. But behind the curtain, oh, man, don't ask questions about that. That's not what we are. You can know everything. You can ask questions about things. There are things in Scripture that might make you uncomfortable or that you don't agree with automatically. That's okay. That's okay. Seek God. Seek God and you'll find God. So if you are doubting, be vulnerable about it. Be real about it. Talk to your leaders and your youth pastors in this room because that's the point, right? But here's the other thing you got to do. Determine tonight. You'll seek, but you'll also stand. There's a point where Paul's writing a letter to the early church and he asks them this question. He says, have you guys done everything you can to stand? Basically, do you feel like you're at the end of your rope? You feel like you're going to give up? And they're like, yeah. Yes. Yes. What advice do you have for us? Paul the apostle, one of the, the, the founding fathers of the church, like, please give us some wisdom. Do you feel like you've done everything to stand? Yes, I do. I feel like I'm going to give up. What should we do? And he says this. Stand, therefore. Keep standing. Because, right, the Bible says seek God and we'll know God, right? Seek God and we'll find God. Not seek every question that you have and you'll find an answer to it. There are things about the infinite God that we serve that we can't comprehend in our finite minds. We're called to live by faith, not by sight. So in the face of doubt, be vulnerable. Be real about it. It doesn't disassociate you. Seek and stand. Sorry. I just feel like that needed to be said uh, for somebody in the room. So let's get back to our purpose, though, okay? So they were gathered together, and some doubted. Wait, where were we? Some doubted, right there. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, here it is. Here's your purpose. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that tonight there will be a moment of revelation in a student's life, that they will never be able to see themselves, the people in their lives, you or anything else, the same way again in light of the revelation that has come through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's your purpose. You want to know your purpose is? Wherever it's fulfilled, it's to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. That's it. That's, what's, that's your purpose, not just one day when you graduate. That's your purpose right now. We have the answer that people are searching for. And it is not just enough for us to be saved. God has a purpose for our life. But here's the deal. Sometimes I think the word purpose holds a lot of weight. Do you know what I'm saying? Even on a night like tonight, maybe already some of you guys feel this like pressure. 
You ever have like something that should be a good phrase said to you in a way that doesn't feel good? Like, like this, like you have so much potential. You take that phrase just on its own. That's a good thing, right? You have so much potential. How many of us have heard that exact phrase, you have so much potential, and the context is not great? It's from a coach or a teacher or a parent who's saying it because you didn't turn in a homework assignment or you were late to class or, you know what I'm saying? You have so much potential. That's great, but it can feel like pressure. And same thing, I've just told you your purpose, right? Going to all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. How come that that doesn't feel like exciting? Here's my prayer for tonight. My prayer is that our perspective would shift about our purpose, right? That it wouldn't feel so much like a pressure. It would be seen as a privilege, right? So, so I want to walk through that, but, but here's the biggest issue when it comes to fulfilling our purpose. It's not that it's complicated, right? Think about this. This is the last thing Jesus is saying before he ascends to heaven, and it's like three sentences, it's not complicated. The issue with fulfilling our purpose isn't an issue of understanding. I believe it's an issue of order. So here's, here's the secret for tonight. I'm not going to give you my list of like how you can do this more effectively. Because here's the best thing you can do this school year. To be all that God has called you to be and do all that God has called you to do, you need to understand this. That in order to be effective in making disciples... It starts with being a disciple. Think about that. Who is Jesus speaking to when he gives this commission? The 11 disciples. So just in that, that fact alone, there is something that the early church and the early readers of this would have assumed automatically that I think we maybe have missed. And that is, in order to be effective in making disciples, you've got to start by being a disciple. And too many of us are content with being converts but not disciples. We're content with being attendees, but not disciples. God's not called you to just attend services. God's not called you to just get saved and not go to hell. God has called you to be a disciple, a disciple who makes disciples. So let's put that whole making disciples to the side for a second, and let me explain to you what it means to be a disciple. Because again, I said this at camp, but I'll reiterate it. God is way more interested in who you are becoming than what you're doing. And in fact, it's only out of authentically being who God has called you to be that you will see effectiveness in doing what he's called you to do. So the most important thing I could talk to you about tonight, going into this new school year, is being the person that God has called you to be, which is a disciple. So what does it mean to be a disciple? I'm glad you asked. I believe that the commission actually shows us the picture of what it means to be a disciple. There's three things that I want to talk about tonight that I think embody what it means to be a disciple. More than a convert, more than an attendee, more than someone who just goes through the motions, more than somebody who just survives. But someone who says, no, 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 I, can, I want to make it different. I, I want this year to be different. Here's what it means. Submission, salvation, and sanctification. 
They all start with S, bro. My, da- my dad's a pastor like Brett. We were kind of, that's why we were friends at first. We're just like in the same boat. We're youth pastors who grew up in church, PKs, working for our dads. And my dad, he is like if Dr. Seuss got filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? Like every message I've ever heard him preach starts with the same letter or it rhymes. So it's just like that's the way my brain works sometimes. But submission, salvation, and sanctification, that's what it means to be a disciple. So let's start with submission. Let's go back to the commission. Yeah, just keep this up the whole time. It says here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's interesting to me that the preface that Jesus gives before the commission is a reminder of his authority. Interesting. Interesting, because again, this is the last thing he's saying before he ascends to heaven, and it's short. It's a few sentences long, so every word chosen matters, just like the rest of Scripture, but especially here, every single word matters, and Jesus gives a reminder of his authority. I would think he'd give it a reminder of, of his power, right? Don't forget, all power has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Or maybe his love. Don't forget, I am the God of love. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Or maybe his provision. I am Jehovah Jireh. Therefore, go and make disciples. But he doesn't say any of that. He reminds us of his authority. I think that that matters because the beginning of being a disciple is submission. Because our human condition is a longing for control. What it means to be a disciple is constant, willing submission to the authority of God. Because our human condition is a longing to be in control. And here's what you need to understand about that, especially those of us who've been in church for a while. If you are not intentional about submission, your fallback will be control. This is why Paul the Apostle says, I die to myself daily. Because he knows If he's not intentional about submission, his fallback will be control. Because we all want God to be in control in our lives sometimes or in certain areas. We're willing to submit to the authority of God when everything is already out of control. God, take over, man. Like Everything's falling apart. My family's splitting up. My health isn't right. My, my, My grades aren't good. God, I give you my life. It's a mess. But when when we even feel like there is a semblance of us being able to control it, we want to be in the driver's seat. Or here's the deal. We'll give God control of the things that we already don't want control of. How many times you prayed for a test you didn't study for? But who you're going to date? No, that's, that's on me, God. I'll take care of that. You know what I'm saying? We got to submit willingly. Every aspect of our life in every season, in the highs and the lows, in the good and the bad, in the ups and the down, everything. Because when we are in control, it will lead us towards destruction. Here's the, the, the beauty about the freedom of, of submission. When we submit to the authority of God, it's like Isaiah says, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And submitting to the authority of God, especially at this time of our life, allows us to not understand everything. As I said earlier when I was talking about doubt, there are some scriptures that might make you uncomfortable. Don't just push past those and ignore them. 
Don't just let some TikTok define what you believe. Wrestle with it. The point is for it to make you uncomfortable. Being uncomfortable is how you grow. I was talking with my man about his, his weightlifting regimen. Remind me your name, bro? Hey, suit. Oh, come on. This is a better example than I ever thought. Hey, Seuss, he's, he's benching 285 and he's deadlifting 700 pounds. Like, and we're talking about that process. You got to get uncomfortable to grow. But sometimes we don't want to be uncomfortable. And so we never grow. We got to be a people who says, no, no, no. I will willingly, I will willingly submit. Every area and aspect of my life. So many of us want Jesus to be our Savior, but we do not want him to be Lord. Save me, God. I want to see your hand move, but I don't want to sit at your feet. What's it mean to be a disciple? Constant, willing submission. Practically, what does this look like? It looks like what the Apostle Paul did. Waking up every morning and saying, I lay myself at your feet. I die to myself again. God, I, I don't want control. I want you to be in control. My, my thoughts, my, my, my heart, my passion, my actions, everything I do today, I want it to be for your glory. I lay myself at your feet. I'm a living sacrifice. Do what you want. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like that? When's the last time you started a morning like that? But no, how do we all start our morning? The same way. We wake up, we hit our snooze a few times, and then we wake up, and then we scroll through TikTok and Instagram looking at what everybody else did, and then go start our day. Start your day with willing submission to the authority of God. Because that's what it means to be a disciple. What else does it mean? Salvation. Salvation, I mean like, I know that that's an obvious one, but go back to the commission. It says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the only, like, physical things we're called to do in the commission is baptism. Baptism, again, everything in here is so interesting, and it, it has a purpose. We get a reminder of his authority, and one of the only physical things we're called to do is baptism. Do you guys, how many have been baptized in this place? Okay, a good amount. And, and, and here's the deal. If you haven't yet, I would say you need to, if you're saved. If you have been saved, you need to get baptized. Because baptism is a physical representation of what has taken place internally. Because what is salvation? Let me just give you a reminder of what salvation is. Salvation is not an attitude adjustment. We are not in the business of seeing God take people from bad to good or difficult to easy. We're not traveling salesmen of Jesus and being like, if you just believe in Jesus, everything's going to get easier and everything's going to be, get better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus Christ takes us from death to life. Spiritual transformation. New creation, that's salvation. And baptism is a picture of that. Because as you're baptized, you go under the water, right? If you've been baptized, you know, you plug your nose, they take you down under the water. And, and that is a picture of the participation that we have in the death and burial of Christ. That I'm not who I used to be anymore. I don't do what I used to do anymore. I don't live out of my flesh anymore because my sin was paid for. That's what God saved me from. That's not who I am. You understand what I'm saying? That person was buried with Christ. 
Too many of us raise our hand out of service or repeat a prayer, but we constantly live this life where we're going back to our same old habits and going back to our same old things. And the enemy loves to speak into your mind your past mistakes and the things that you've done. And that's why you can't have purpose. That's why you don't got potential. That's why you can't go into all the world and make disciples. But God saved you from that. That's already been dealt with. I heard a pastor say like this before, when the enemy tries to remind you of your past after you've been saved, it's like he's trying to rob a house that you don't live at anymore. Me and my family, we just recently moved to Santa Ana. And I know you guys are like, man, Knox Berry Farm, Santa Ana? Do you not care about your family? No, it's, it's fine, dude. But we moved. We lived at this apartment complex in, in La Palma. And if you want to go rob that, it's Brookside Apartment 2104. Have, have fun. I don't live there anymore. You understand what I'm saying? God saved you from something. But this is what I love so much about baptism in the full process of salvation. We don't drown people. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't keep people under the water because we serve a God that didn't stay buried. We participate in the death and the burial, but we also participate in the resurrection. You go down under the water, and that represents what you've been saved from, but you are brought up, and that represents what you've been saved for. And too many of us just stop at what we've been saved from. Again, that's survival. I just don't want to do that anymore. I just don't want to live that way anymore. I just don't want to keep, Pastor Brett, you know me, man. I don't want to keep looking at that website. I don't want to. And we just live this life where it's just like we're trying so hard to just continue to be saved from something. But I'm telling you, Jesus already paid for that. And not only has he saved you from something, he saved you for something. This is what you have been baptized into, out of, but also what you've been baptized into. And this is my favorite part about baptism and salvation is not only are we like transformed, we're a new creation, and we got purpose and potential, God wants to use us, but we, when we get saved, become a part of what is known as the body of Christ. This is what I was talking about earlier when I said like your uniqueness and your giftings and all that, it matters because we are a part of the church, right? And this, what we're doing right now is what it means to be a disciple. You know, like, I don't think you have to go to church to get to heaven necessarily, but you do have to go to church to be a disciple. Being a part of a community, being a part of the body, doing life together, breaking bread together. This is what it is all about. This is what it means to be a disciple. Don't forsake the gathering together. If you want this year to be different, you're not meant to be a lone wolf. Lean into this community that you have here, right? Submission, salvation, the last thing is this, sanctification. Sanctification, it says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Submission, that's, that's a decision that you have to make every single day. Salvation, that's an experience that, that for some of us in the room has already happened, and for others, it might happen tonight. Because it's not complicated. We don't earn salvation. We don't deserve salvation. All we need to do to be saved is call upon the name of the Lord. Believe in faith. Believe in our hearts. Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We're saved. That's the beauty of this. Ephesians 2 says it's by faith we've been saved. Not a result of works. 
None of us can take credit for it. Submission's a decision. Salvation is an experience. Sanctification, that's a process. That's a process. And it is the process of looking more like Jesus today than you did yesterday and tomorrow than you did today. How do we do that? Again, it isn't super glamorous. It isn't overly complicated. It's through his word. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How would they know what he commanded them? It's in the word. We got to be a people who hungers and thirsts for the word of God. That we're not just doing it because Brett and Danielle and the leaders are like, hey, did you read your Bible today? But we would live a life that says, I can't afford not to be in the word of God because it's living and it's transformative and it's the only truth. You know what? This is what I'm sick of, a generation that is so easily believing the lies of the enemy. You know why we do that? Because we're not familiar with the truth. When you start to familiarize yourself with what the truth sounds like, you recognize a lie right away. Knowing Jesus, looking and living like Jesus, the only way you could do that is spending time with him. This is what it means to be a disciple. Submission, salvation, sanctification. You know, I said at the beginning of all this, my prayer was revelation tonight, right? I told you what your purpose is, but my prayer was that it would go from from pressure to privilege. What's the difference between pressure and privilege? It's preparation. That's it. That's the only difference between pressure and privilege. You see this most accurately depicted in sports, right? And I'm not as much of a sports person as your guys' youth pastors. Brett and Danielle, they're studs, man. Like both of she's in the Hall of Fame for soccer, and he almost made it on a football team apparently. So, I don't know. Like we know who the real athlete is, right? But no, for real. But I, like I'm in, a, I'm in an adult softball league, all right? I just turned 27. Uh, I know I don't look like, you know you guys are the first group, youth group that I've spoken to without my mustache? It's probably, if you're like, you're like, yeah, that's why it's been so bad. You know, I don't know, like, but I'm 27, I got two kids, like, I'm fully embracing just, like, being, uh, like, old. I, I like, I want to be old, you know what I'm saying? I know I'm not old yet, but, like, I'm, I'm fully there, so I'm in an adult men's softball league, and I know, like, you look at me and you think, that I might be good at baseball and softball um, because I'm white, but that's kind of racist that you thought that, okay? Because um, I'm not, I'm not. But like, so I joined the league, Brett, and like everybody there, they're tryhards, bro. This is why I didn't, I thought it was just for fun on Monday night. These dudes coming out with jerseys on, it's a bunch of Uncle Ricos who never made it, and they're like, I could throw this football over the mountain, you know, like, it's a lot of that energy in the, in the softball league. And I didn't know that, but these, these dudes take it seriously, bro. So I show up just ready to have fun, and that is not the, that's not the vibe at all, right? And I'm bad, okay? I'm not good at softball. I've not played much baseball when I was a kid or anything like that. So they put me in the outfield, right? And that's fine until the ball gets hit to me. And there was one game, one night, we, we, it was a close game, right? It was like 8-8, it's the seventh inning, and I'm wearing this like bright yellow sweater, okay? Like, didn't you guys 
participate in Quarantine Youth, that like online thing that we did, maybe kind of familiar, but we made this merch and it, it had like a, a smiley face with like a, a mask on it. And it, you would think it was a target for the other team, right? Because I have this bright yellow sweater on. And here's how bad I am. Like, I really want to put this into context. When I happen to, like, hit the ball and get on base, my other teammates who are also grown men treat me like we just won the championship. You know what I'm saying? Which, by the way, is worse than just talking smack. I would rather you talk smack to me than pander to me. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't treat me like I'm a make-a-wish child that just showed up there, you know? I don't need that in my life, all right? Talk, talk smack to me. But they'd be like, good job, buddy. I'm like, don't call me buddy, bro. So that's how bad I am. And I'm out there in the outfield, and this dude hits, hits the ball straight to me. And all that I'm thinking as the ball is coming towards my glove is please don't drop it. Please don't drop it. Please don't drop it. All I feel is pressure. And sure enough, hits the tip of my glove, falls out. And what happens is, I think the other team got into the dugout and they had a meeting. And they said, hit it to that guy. Because the next six people that came up to bat all hit it straight to me. And every single one, I dropped it. And they won the game. They got six runs on us. And it was all my fault. And and I just felt this pressure but what's crazy to me is I play on this league with some other friends Gary's on it right but my perspective and Gary's perspective about a ball getting hit to us is different what I feel as pressure what I see as a as an obstacle to be overcome I just don't want to drop this and let my team down he sees as an opportunity When the ball is hit in his direction he knows the goal he knows the purpose and he says this is my chance to catch it and do something for the team. The only difference is preparation. We're on the same team. We got the same goal. The only difference is time spent on the field. This is your purpose, to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. Submission, salvation, and sanctification. But here's the last thing I'll say as we close tonight. The best thing about all of this Put the verse up there one more time. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is, this is what takes it from just Jesus talking to the 11 that are there, and it brings us into the conversation. Because I don't know if you know this yet, it's not the end of the age. And so when he says he's with us, he's talking about us in this room. And this is the, the true power and the true confidence is, yes, be prepared, be a disciple, and you will be more effective in making disciples. But ultimately, it is not on you to save people. It is not on you to heal people. It is not on you to restore people's mental health. It is only an act of God. And we live a life where Jesus can be seen, where the spirit that we were singing about earlier can work through us and speak through us. That will bring transformation on your campus like nothing else. More than a club, more than a school assembly, more than any strategies that we're going to give on September 30th. But I do want you there on September 30th because I know that there are people in this room who are ready, who are ready to do more than just survive, who are ready to be more than just converts. You want to be disciples? that make disciples, because that's, that's your purpose. And it doesn't start one day, it starts today.